Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Some years ago, I met a woman, a young woman named Mary Kay. Uh, When we both came on staff for the same Christian ministry to college students. I had been an engineer for a little while after I graduated from college, and I made the transition, a career transition at that point, to start working with students. And what I have to say about this one young woman, Mary Kay, is that we didn't like each other (laughs) at all. And it started right from the beginning. The first time we met, we were in a little small group with each other. And we went around the, the small group saying what we were excited about for the week. And I was really excited. I was changing careers. I, I wanted to plunge into campus ministry. I wanted to pray. I wanted to study scripture. I wanted to share with students. And so it got to me. I said that. I said, I'm just so excited. We can study the Bible and pray with each other. And then it kept going around and it got to Mary Kay. And Mary Kay looked right at me, and it turned out she'd been working with students for about three weeks, and she needed a break. She needed a Sabbath, a time away. So looking at me with very intense eyes, she said, wow, I need a break. If I have to read another Bible verse or pray another prayer, I'm going to lose it right here and right now. And she said that whole thing, like staring at me. That was our first conversation. And we kept having those kinds of conversations. I thought, you know, who is this woman? What do you mean she's in ministry and she doesn't want to study the Bible? Well, that wasn't it at all. She just wanted to settle down Mr. Excited Guy so she could get a little space. Well, it kind of came to a head a little bit. Uh, When we had a staff meeting, our boss had us both stand up before the whole team. And several people knew we didn't like each other very much. And so one of them kind of called out, hey, you guys get married. Wow. Like, Mary Kay, I think she almost turned and swore at him. I, I think she was that close. And I didn't like it too much either. But it turned out the reason we stood is we had a birthday on the same day and the same year. And not only that, actually, when I first showed her my license, she said, what are you doing with my license? Because she saw her birthday. Uh, but we decided we're working for the same Christian organization with the same group of students on the same team, and we have a birthday on the same date and the same year. Maybe we ought to try to at least not be hostile. Let's do something to try to melt the ice. So here I'm going to date myself. We went disco dancing. I'd show you some moves now, but I I also realized that what little coolness factor I had, and I don't have much anyway, just went right out the window, right? But that's what we did. And she saw this Mr. Spiritual Excited guy having fun, enjoying things, and the ice started to melt. And we started to kind of maybe even a little bit become friends. And... We kind of went through the year like that. Several months later, though, it turned out, I didn't know this, she was complaining to the whole staff team individually about me still. 
she still had some pretty big problems. So we did this little training thing together uh, about April of that year, and we're having lunch together, and Mary Kay turned to me and said, boy, I, I just want to tell you, you may think I hate you. And I was like, I didn't know she was complaining about me. I didn't think she hated me. But when somebody says, you may think I hate you, suddenly you start thinking, you didn't think that, but now all of a sudden you're thinking that. And finally, as the conversation went on, I finally just said to her, what are you so afraid of? And she says, at that moment, the clouds parted and she saw the three words, I like you. And, but this is how she said it. I think I like you. Ah! Like that. That's what she did. I was like, wow, that wasn't like the, the, like the c- confession that I, I wanted to date. I want to date you, Rick. That wasn't what I'd been looking for. That wasn't how I'd played it out. I had trouble reading women in those days. I didn't know what they thought of me, but I didn't expect either side of that. I you think you might hate me, and then I like you. Like, what do I do? But we continued on. We still had our, we're strong people. We still had our differences of opinion. But finally, in the desert of Arizona, one afternoon with the sun going down in Scottsdale, Arizona, I think there were even two horseback riders in the background, right? I got down on my knees and I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. She said, yes. And that changed my life. And yeah, I'd like to say we're strong people. I'd like to say it was smooth sailing after that, but we would fight and make up and fight and make up. And uh, as C.S. Lewis, a famous fiction writer, said about two of his characters uh, after they got married, uh, you know, he'd like to say they didn't fight again, but they would fight and make up and fight and make up. And so finally they got married so as to go on doing it more conveniently. But, but actually, it's been a good marriage, 38 years, and we've brought up three boys, and we love each other and are committed to each other deeply, and, uh, and God has blessed it. That's a commitment that changed my life. Today, we want to talk about another commitment that changes our life, the commitment or the decision to surrender our lives to Jesus. And here's the thing about commitments like that. They don't happen unless somebody asks, dares to ask the question, dares to pop the question. I did that on the Arizona desert in Scottsdale, and and Mary Kay said yes. For people to make commitments like that that change the direction of their lives, somebody has to ask. And today, we want to talk about that, daring to ask, daring to invite people to surrender their lives to Christ. Now, you know, not everybody in our lives who is unchurched or doesn't know Jesus, not everybody in our lives is ready for us to ask that question. But I want to suggest there may be more people in your life who are readier than you think. And God, 
I believe, wants to work in lots of us today to actually give us faith to dare to ask. Now, if you're like me, you have some challenges with that. You have some ways, some obstacles you feel, and uh, here's some of the ones I've dealt with as I've kind of worked on how to dare to ask. One barrier is, are there really people in my life who are receptive like that? Unchurched people, people who don't know Jesus yet, I haven't surrendered their lives. Are there people like that in my life? A lot of the news these days about people outside the church talks about how negative some people are toward the church and how unreceptive. Younger people are leaving the church at tremendous rates uh, in high percentages. Uh, the fastest growing uh, religious grouping in America is nuns. Uh, that's people, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, not the Catholic nuns. Nuns who say on surveys, religious surveys, uh, what's your religious preference? And they say none. That's now the highest religious grouping in America. So we get a lot of indications that people aren't interested. And every one of us in this room, um, if we have, uh, and I realize there are people who haven't yet surrendered their lives to Christ in this room, and I'm so thankful you're here. But every one of us who has surrendered our life to Christ has people we long to communicate with that we feel stuck with. Could be friends, it could be family members, it could be kids, it could be parents. And those experiences of getting stuck kind of color our whole picture of how receptive people are, as do the news articles. So that's barrier one. We have a, a confidence problem that there are actually people out there who want to hear. There's actually, if you will, Jesus' image was a harvest. Second, when we come to issues like sharing our faith, we can have a courage problem. We fear risking the relationship, getting it to be socially awkward. Especially with people we might have known for years. But also people we just meet. It's, it's funny, in other countries this works a little different. I have a, some of my students are Chinese and I tell them about this barrier that I have to sharing my faith and he looks at me and he says, Rick, my church was burned down in the last month. I've been threatened with jail three times. I've gone to jail once. I, I risk my life when I open my mouth and you're afraid of a little social awkwardness? And I was like, well, well yeah, but when you put it that way, <laughs> right? But we have that fear. We often also have a, a, a struggle to connect with people spiritually. Like, how do you get that whole thing going? You're having a conversation about the Bears or the Cubs or, you know, Bears. Let's say the Bears about Mitchell Trubisky and is there any hope? And is this new quarterback's coach going to be able to do anything with him? And how do you get from there to spiritual things? It's kind of tough. Some of us aren't sure how to do that. And then, once we have started talking about spiritual things, how do we naturally get to the point where we can share the good news about Jesus and dare to ask them to respond? How do we get there? Uh, you know, would you like to hear how God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? And, and that might fit in some conversations. But... 
it's hard for us. Every one of those are like thresholds. And uh, overall, I would say, you know, so that's a clarity problem, right? What do we say once people are ready to hear the gospel? What do you say? And as I kind of sum up all those problems, I would kind of sum them up as we have a major communication challenge. At least we feel it's major when it comes to sharing our faith and daring to ask. That's our challenge. And and think about it, you know. We believe that uh, God does love us. We believe we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We believe Jesus came and, and he died on the cross to forgive us our sin. And, and he rose from the dead to give us new life. And we believe we repent or turn. And we believe we trust Christ and his death on the cross. And we believe the good news. But a lot of those words I just said don't make much sense to people in our culture. Sin doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't seem to be the thing people would own quickly. And then we use words. I, I was sharing with somebody today, and somebody next to me was using words. Uh, you know, our problem is sin. Satan's out to get the world. And they were talking in ways that I could tell the person we were talking to couldn't connect to. How do we communicate the good news so we can dare to ask? Well, today we're going to look at Luke 10, 1 to 24, and I'm just going to spend some time in the passage, in this story. And what I love about this chapter is it's a great chapter about what Christian love, loving others, really looks like. The first story is Jesus sends his, uh, actually, 72, that's the one we're going to look at, uh, 72 followers out to share uh, the good news. Then the second one is a famous story. It's often called the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's Jesus' story about a despised Samaritan who actually becomes the neighbor. And we're in this series now on Will You Be My Neighbor? And the Samaritan, this is the last session of that series, the Samaritan was a neighbor to a hurt and broken man by the side of the road. The unexpected person. Nobody expected him to be the hero of the story, and he was. He was the neighbor, and he served and loved. And so there are two ways that this chapter says the best ways you can love people are share, share your faith, share about Jesus, and serve hurting, needy people. We're going to look at that first, share and and dare to ask. So that's Luke 10, and we're going to start with Luke 10, 1 to 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And and what this church wants to say today is, like Jesus sent the 72, when you leave this service, you're being sent. If you you love Jesus, you're being sent. uh, uh, But here's what I want you to notice from this passage. Jesus sent 72. The chapter before Luke tells us he sent 12. Then you see Jesus heal people, and he, he sends them. And they they talk about what God has done for them. Often, when it comes to sharing our faith, what people will ask me is, 
hey, I don't really have that gift. I'm not really, I don't have the gift of what, you know, evangelism, sharing good news. I don't have that gift. I can, I'm a, I can help people with discipleship, with learning how to follow Jesus, with studying the Bible, with praying, but I don't have the gift of sharing my faith. That's not my gift. I have several uh, responses. One is I understand, like probably one or three percent, probably a maximum of five percent in this church might have that gift, and only about one or two percent will admit it. So it's a rare thing that people think they have the gift. The second thing I'd say is there's lots of things we do as a disciple that isn't our gift, like giving and praying and reading scripture. And so here's the third thing I'd say. It turns out being a witness is just core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not, uh, it's not like something for the elite or the mature. Jesus sends out the 12, then he sends out the 72, and then almost everybody touched by Jesus, healed by Jesus, who becomes a follower, becomes a witness. Because that's the pattern of Jesus and that's the pattern he loves reproducing in us. So that's the first thing that we see from the passage is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you are a witness. I get to speak at black churches, uh, African-American churches sometimes, and I love the call and response. And if I were in, in one of those churches, uh, you know, one of the things I love is God is good all the time, all the time. Who's a witness? We're a witness. Who's a witness? Every one of us. That's core to our identity in Christ. Hey, y'all, that was good. Now I'm feeling even a little better, you know, a little more comfortable, right? Everyone plays. Everyone gets to go on this adventure. As a matter of fact, if you're not on the adventure of being a witness, there's something huge missing from the core of who you are as a Christian. And part of today is we want to recapture that. He then says, don't take your purse or bag. And uh, he, he basically says, be really dependent on God in this thing of witness. And then in Luke 10, uh, 5 to 7, uh, when, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Uh, often we think of witness, that picture of evangelism is the person on the street corner or the person knocking on doors or the person doing what I would call drive-by witness. You know, it's like, uh, uh, alert, there's a witness incident at the corner of Broadway and 51st. Like, people think of witness as drive-by kind of stuff. But for the majority of us, witness is just influencing people in every one of our relational spheres. Neighborhood and home and health club and wherever we live, work, play and study. That's the primary focus of witness. And notice what Jesus did. Uh, he, he basically sent them 
to somebody who was a person of peace who received their message. And then he said, don't just keep moving around. Stay there. And then work through the relational network of that person. And keep looking for persons of peace, receptive people. And Jesus was saying, they're all around you. You know, God has sent you to your relational places. There are places none of the pastors here can go. There are places only you get to go. And you're God's secret agent there. You're the witness there. And, uh, and so he says, look for that person of peace. And notice, he says, heal and share. When we heal and we share, and you'll see this in a minute, but when we heal and share, who do you heal? Who did Jesus want him to heal? Well, sick people. Who, who were the receptive people in the towns that these people went to, these followers went to, two by two? They were the broken. They were the sick. They were, they were people that were in need. Friends, there are long periods of lack of receptivity in the life of lots of people who are unchurched. Maybe you have family members that are in a, a window of lack of receptivity. But there are other times, windows of receptivity, mostly when pain and transition come, right? My, my, uh, my son modeled this for me. He had some challenges and had to be hospitalized. And he went into the, uh, into the hospital uh, and was working to recover. And he, he met another friend on the floor who also was in trouble, also sick and, and broken. And my, my son, I was like, I couldn't believe it. He was in the midst of deep struggle, and he walked by this other guy's door every day, and he just said, hey, can I pray for you? And every day he prayed for this guy. This guy was a Hindu, anti-Christian, not interested, not receptive, but his heart was starting to melt because he was in pain. A year later, I was at a conference. Some guy raised his hand and said, hey, uh, you know, I just want to say, even unreceptive people are often receptive. And he looked kind of familiar. He came down after and he said, Rick, I was that, you know, I was that guy on your son's ward in the hospital. And he prayed for me every day. And I argued with him, but it got through. And I got out of the ward. I met somebody else. And I've now become a completely committed Christian. And now I'm reaching my Hindu friends. And I thought, in pain. It's people in pain. In transition. Loss of a job. Loss of a loved one. A struggling with depression. People in pain. Um, I... I had the, an experience today uh, of a woman in pain. I'll, I'll mention her later, but who are the people in pain in your relational networks? I would suggest those are the people of peace. 
because Jesus told him to heal. Now, you might say, well, I, you know, I'm not much at healing. And uh, that's the next uh, passage in Luke 10, 8, and 9. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus is very simple about what he wants them to do. He doesn't make it complicated. Uh, it's not easy, but it's simple. He basically says, serve and share. You want to love people? Just serve and share. It's that simple. People at your work, people at the health club, people in your neighborhood, people where you study, people where you play, people where you drink your coffee, you serve, look for opportunities to serve and share. And the way the disciples were called to serve is they were called to heal people. And they had the authority to do that. Now, I don't know about you, I've seen some people healed when I've prayed uh, for them, but I've also seen people get worse. Uh, has anybody else had that experience? Like, I prayed recently for a friend who had a kind of a, a cold, not that recently, so I'm not contagious or anything like that, but I, I prayed for that person. They came to me the next day. I said, how you doing? Are you feeling better? They said, no, and uh, clearly they were miserable. And they looked at me like, I'm never asking for you for prayer again. I mean, I didn't get better. I got worse. And a lot of us feel that. Like, what's the analog or the parallel for praying for healing? And I just want to suggest it's quite simply this. Whenever we see a person in pain, we offer to pray for them. We offer to have our church pray for them. If, we, if they seem really open, we offer to pray for them right then. People in pain are incredibly receptive to prayer. And prayer, just by its very nature, heals people. All of us here who pray for somebody who, who's far from God, we're healing, a healing presence at that moment. We're serving them in a concrete way. So share and pray. I mean, share and, and, uh, and serve. And, you know, once we've asked people, can we pray, we actually get a chance to, to do that. Now, sometimes when we share and serve, we also run into barriers, obstacles, people in a window of unreceptivity. And it's very painful, and sometimes we feel rejected, and, and we feel sad. Jesus also has an answer for that. Uh, Luke 10, 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects whom who sent me. Basically, Jesus said, disciples, get over yourselves. It's not about you. Isn't that something? It's not about you. You know, I, we have to constantly keep coming back to that. You know, when I, I'm preparing this message for you, I realize this is about you all and what God wants to do. It's not about me. Praise God. And when we share with friends who are resistant or in a window of unreceptivity, it's not about us. And it's also not the final word. So... That's key. And then Jesus tells them in Luke 10, this is a great passage, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan file like lightning from heaven. And 
tells him he's given him authority. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. I love that. I love this ending because it talks about whose work witness really is, where we get the power for witness, and then it talks about who God gives that power to. And I want to start with uh, that second one. Who does the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit brings it. Like, basically, witness is the Holy Spirit's job. Not yours or mine. We just to go, get to go along for the ride. We look for people in pain. We ask him. We pray. We determine whether they're open. And if they're open, we get to share more and pray for them and help them move a next step toward Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we just kind of collaborated with it. What's cool about that is it's not our technology, money, great words, adequacy, arguments, splendid way we put things. It's none of that stuff. Sure, learning conversational skills helps. Having good questions helps. But at the end of the day, it's not the pastors here that, you know, Jesus rejoices in the children, the little ones, the people without any letters behind their name. No letters like reverend or pastor before their name. Do you know God's joy when you as an everyday person go out and be a witness is incredible. Let me say it kind of graphically. He loves it way more when you go out and share your faith than when Pastor Jim does. Now, I don't know if Pastor Jim is here. <laughs> He'll probably get to see it. But, but, but uh, he is so happy. He loves using people who feel inadequate. Can I get a witness? Anybody here feel a little inadequate when it comes to sharing your faith? God loves to use especially you. I remember my first efforts at trying to get into conversations. I was so incompetent and inadequate. I'm riding down a ski lift with my buddy Scott. We're heading down toward the, uh, the bottom of the mountain. Uh, I mean, up toward the top of the mountain so we can ski down to the bottom of the mountain. And I look up and I'm trying to get to God in my conversation. I say, look at the stars. It's so beautiful. And finally I said something like, there must be something behind it. Scott looked over at me like something behind it. Then he looked up like he was looking for door number two or something, you know. Then he looked at me again. I was so embarrassed. We came off the lift. I tripped. I face planted. I looked like Frosty the Snowman, which I was kind of glad about because it hid my red face. I didn't feel like I was able to do this. But I tell you, the Holy Spirit was on the job, and I think Jesus was happier and more full of joy at that little attempt when I had no idea what to say and do than at some of the ones I've done more recently. God loves using inadequate people because it's the Holy Spirit. Who gets the props if you as an inadequate person 
get to dare to ask and see somebody surrender their life to Christ? Who gets the props? The Holy Spirit. And God loves that. And it fills Jesus with joy. And that's the payoff. The, the, the payoff is incredible joy. Witness may involve some bumps. It may give you some challenges. It's a risk. But I tell you, the bottom line of witness is incredible joy. Jesus filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. Laughter, childlike wonder. There's nothing like being part of God's process to help somebody take a next step toward Jesus. And the reason there's nothing like it is because Jesus celebrates, angels celebrate, joy spills over from Jesus into our lives, and we become joyful. The invitation to dare to ask is an invitation to joy. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to apply that now. I want to make a few applications from the passage. and uh, I want to to say just a few simple things. Number one, in order to have confidence, optimism, and faith that God can use you in witness, you have to believe there's a harvest out there. There are receptive people out there. Here's the good news. What we found from our research, from conversations, uh, what I saw again this morning... Uh, is there are many more receptive people than we think. I just want to say that one more time. There are many more receptive people in our lives than we think, all around us. Uh, We we have research to back it up. We uh, surveyed uh, 2,000 unchurched people. And I'm just going to really quickly uh, share you. One-third of all unchurched people expect to attend church regularly in the future. Uh, One out of three of your unchurched friends actually expect to go back to church or go to church and stay there. One out of three. And for millennials, age now 32 to, I mean 22 to 36, for millennials, it's even higher. Secondly, uh, 50% tell us an invitation to attend a church from a friend or family member would be effective in getting them there. Uh, 50%, one out of two. Now we have to know how to invite a little bit because people are afraid of two things when they come to a church. They don't want to be judged and they don't want to be expected to be something they're not. If they're not a committed Christian at this point, they don't want to be expected to be that. They don't want to be expected to know Bible verses. And they don't want to be expected to know Christianese, you know, that language that sometimes Christians speak with each other that people from unchurched situations can't make heads or tails of. I have a friend who gave an invitation. I'm not saying you should do this. You ask your pastors uh, about this. But he just said, when a neighbor was interested in going, uh, coming to church, he just said, uh, hey, why don't you try my church? You can come in shorts, come as you are. And if you want to take a smoke break at the intermission, you know, whatever that is, a smoke break at the intermission, feel free. Well, I'm not saying you should encourage people you invite to take a smoke break during the offering or intermission or whatever. But he, he, it was a powerful moment 
because the guy knew he wouldn't be judged. Well, that's some of the evidence of receptivity. And then you need to be able to just kind of take four simple steps. And I just want to lay those out as a way to kind of finish our time together this morning. Number one, you got to get clarity about the message in a way that you can share it, that you're excited about and you think other people would understand it. You, this church has a wonderful booklet called God's Good News. Uh, it's also online. It gives you the prompts, and I really encourage you to use it. Uh, the one I've been using lately is a... Is a uh, a way, a simple way to summarize the good news of God's love for us called the three circles. And I think we have, uh, there's the three circles. And uh, you start with brokenness. So this, I, I'll just walk you through. I had this this morning. I'm eating my eggs and God just did a setup because he knew I was going to be talking about it with you tonight. It was just like a setup. A woman comes out and she's obviously serving and, and she's just kind of... Uh, uh, taking care of things, and, and, uh, and she said, hey, uh, I'm Marcy, who are you? I said, I'm Rick, and, uh, and then she said, well, what are you doing today? What are you in town for? Why are you at the hotel? And I said, oh, well, I'm speaking at a church, and then she said, which church? And I said, Christ Community Church, and she said, oh, that big one over there on Randall, she'd heard of you, she, was, uh, she thought it was a great, she'd heard good things. Uh, and she just said, man, I really need to go to church in my life now. I, like, you can see, she's just... And I said, yeah, uh, why would you say that's true? She said, man, I'm just up against it. I'm challenged. She was a person in pain who was a person in, of peace. And I just asked if I could pray for her. She said, yes, we did. Then I asked her if uh, I could share something. You know, did she feel near to God right now or far from God? And she said, I feel pretty far from God. I just haven't thought about God in a long time. And I said, can I share a picture? And it was that picture of the three circles that helped me come near to God when I was far from God. And she said, oh, yeah. And I started with that brokenness circle. I said, we live in a broken world. We have broken lives. And she just started crying. It was like, that's where she is. Uh, and, and we walked through, you know, we're broken. That's not the way God meant it. Our world is. Why did it get this way? Because of sin. We've gone our own way instead of God's way. But God didn't leave us that way. He has a, God, a perfect design for our life, and he sent Jesus to restore it. Jesus is God who came down into our brokenness, lived a perfect life, went on to the cross to be a perfect sacrifice for our sin, and then rose again to give us new life and start to restore God's design. We turn and follow Jesus, and Jesus comes into our life. And then we can grow and go back into the broken world. Now what's powerful about that is she connected with brokenness and then the rest just flowed right on. Now unfortunately, another, uh, the chef in the back, she said, I want the chef to hear that. I thought, oh, that's cool. She brought the chef in. He was a Christian, which was great, um, but he started into using Christianese and sort of so I don't know what would have happened if it had just been she and me for the whole time. But she tracked all the way through that. This, this isn't rocket science. 
There are a lot of people who, if you said, can I pray for you? And that's the second thing, a conversational process. We need to be clear on the message and learn a conversational process. Can I pray for you? When we find a person in pain, can I pray with you? Do you feel near to God right now or far from God? Can I share an illustration that changed my life because it helped me get near to God? And there you are. And then you have a simple way to say it. And at the end, you dare to ask. And that's the, that's the, 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 the third thing is you have the conversational process. Uh, and then a simple way to invite response. And then finally, you go in with the expectation that God can use even you, however inadequate you feel, however much you struggle. Uh, final story. Moved down to a condo in the South Loop of Chicago. Love the South Loop. It's next to the Loop, uh, which is... Uh, uh, you know, a fairly upper-class neighborhood, and then the South Side, which has lots of different kinds of communities and ethnicities, but and some middle-class communities, but also some more uh, under-resourced uh, under communities. And so our grocery store is full of every kind of person, every ethnicity, every economic uh, place, and they love it there. And when we moved into our condo, we went from Wheaton to Chicago, and we had to because my wife is a principal of a preschool for the Chicago Public Schools. Uh, she, uh, we had to move there. Uh, we had to live in Chicago or else they would fire her. That's the rule if you work for Chicago Public Schools. And I wanted to keep my marriage and she wanted to keep her job and so we moved and we love it. And our floor was very diverse. Uh, the, the couple next door was a gay couple and we kind of got to know them some. And I brought a... Um, I just felt nudged by God. You know, we'd say hello, and, but I felt nudged by God to sort of bring some appetizers home one day and some beverages. I won't tell you exactly what, but some appetizer. And then I just texted him. I said, hey, you, you want to come over for some appetizers? And, and they said, oh, yeah, we'd love to. And that started a friendship that has just been so powerful. The, they hosted our birthday celebration inviting their friends and our friends. It was so amazing what they did to love us, to love us back. Beautiful. And at one point, at one of the dinners that we had, I gave my theory of marriage about how, you know, marriage, uh, marriage is a challenge and, and a joy. And I, I said something like, every seven years, I feel like we got to um, recommit because people change. And the reasons you get married first uh, at the beginning, sometimes become the sandpaper. That was a quote I just got uh, uh, from Don Ferreira t today. Become the sandpaper. And so we create new commonality. Like she's done, like I've done, like Mary Kay's done in our marriage. Uh, and uh, we come back together. And we recommit. And we rebuild on a new foundation. And the foundation's Jesus. But also other ways that we are able to communicate and be intimate. And uh, so I just shared my theory and whatever. I don't, I don't have any great theory. But one of the guys was really intrigued by it. And so he came up to me and said, hey, 
could you give me relationship counseling? And I'm like, wow. Like, you know, I think you face some issues you understand better than I do. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's above my pay grade. He said, well, let's get together and anyway, and we did. And it turned out Barry was incredibly receptive. And when we prayed for him, when we gave him a book, when we started a book club together, then when we, we prayed for him and invited him to respond, he gave his life to Christ. He surrendered his life to Christ, started to grow. Now he takes like month-long retreats in the desert. I'm like, Barry, slow down. You're putting me to shame. Like, man, that's incredible. He's discipling me now. And what he's taught me is he's not somebody I would have immediately thought would be receptive. But he was a person in pain. There is a harvest of receptive people all around us. And if we will just prepare to dare to ask this year, God could use you and me to help somebody surrender their life to Christ. Let's pray. Thank you so much, uh, Lord, that you love us and that you came down into our brokenness and became the perfect sacrifice for our sin and rose again to give us new life. I just pray, Lord, for each person here that they could be a witness, that they could see receptive people, find those people of peace, pray for them, share with them, love them, serve them, and I pray right now you would give faith to a number of people sitting here that, yeah, just maybe this year, God, I would like to see you use me to help someone else in my world surrender to Christ.